0: Welcome to Hey Kiddo, the podcast about talking to kids about the everyday and the extraordinary. I'm your host, Kate Brown, and as always, I'm here with Dr. Nicole Lipkin, founder of Hey Kiddo. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Kate. How you doing? I'm just fine. We're very excited to be here on another episode. You know, we've recorded 10 episodes so far. Did you know that? It's amazing.
1: And it's amazing. And everyone, I have to be honest with you, I've been applying it to my own life and my kiddo. and. I, I the, 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 these talks are
0: working. <laughs> There's that saying that we teach what we need to learn, right? So we start exactly all of these things that we need to be aware of in our own parenting and educating lives. And we are so lucky to have another expert with us here today, Dr. Sonali Mahajan. Did I pronounce that correctly? I you will re- did, <laughs> Mahajan. <Thank> yeah. <you. laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I have in English, but I am so bad at pronouncing things. I never want to become a dean because I'll have to read all of the names. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I hate getting everyone's names wrong. Well, we are so happy to be joined today by Dr. Sanali Mahajan. And Dr. Mahajan is a child and adolescent psychiatrist who was born in India and immigrated to the US at a very young age. She grew up in Tennessee and completed her general psychiatry residency and fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry at Emory University in Atlanta. Since that time, Dr. Mahajan has worked in different states and held a variety of positions, including those in academics, public mental health, family court, and both nonprofit and for-profit institutions. She brings a wealth of training and clinical expertise to her work. She and her family moved to New Jersey in 2019, and she works at Hackensack Meridian Health Systems in the Pediatric Psychiatry Collaborative Program and also has her private practice in Milburn, New Jersey. Her main focus at the practice is to provide high quality evaluations and ongoing care to children, adolescents, and their families. During her downtime, she enjoys traveling, spending time outdoors with her family, cooking, and
2: gardening. Welcome, Sonali. Thank you so much for having me
0: today. Uh, we, so
2: excited to have you.
0: Really excited. And, you know, sometimes on the show, we talk about topics that are a little bit more difficult um, to wrap our heads around, both as parents and educators. We don't want children to suffer. And sometimes when we talk about anxiety and depression, it can feel like it's going to be really heavy and we don't want to talk about it. But it's really important. And I think that's that's what you're here to share with us is, is what are the realities behind anxiety and depression for kids, and how can parents and educators handle that without letting their own fear
2: get in the way? Sure, I think it's a really important topic and I appreciate you allowing me to be here to talk with you about it. Um, I think anxiety and depression are so much more common than they used to be. And we know that nearly one in five children have an emotional or a behavior disorder, but only 20% of those kids actually get care from a specialized provider. Um, And we know that early identification and intervention is so crucial, especially because our child's brains are still developing into their early 20s. So we wanna make some good influence and have some good connections going on for them in their brain. Um, Treatment at an earlier stage also helps prevent serious consequences or worsening of the illness over time, which then improves the outcomes for that child. So the earlier we can catch it and the earlier we treat it, the better we have um, for the child's life.
1: So, so it sounds it sounds like this early. so it sounds like early intervention really is the key to preventing more significant mental health problems.
2: absolutely. I think as as, you know, a parent, we have to be able to recognize it as pediatricians, they have to recognize it, teachers. I think everyone across the board could use a little more education in what this looks like. And even, you know, talking with with your children and teenagers and helping them identify, okay, this is probably a little bit more than what other people might experience. I wonder what what's going on sort of thing. So I think opening up the conversations is important with our teens and children.
0: And we were talking about teens and children you know it was shocking to me to hear that there was a, a i had read a statistic that said children ages 5 to 11 you know that mm-hmm. that that might be a time when parents might start noticing symptoms of depression and anxiety is it that young in kids and if so you know how do those symptoms change in a five-year-old versus a teenager or you know, what is, when, when should parents start worrying about Sarah, I said we were going to talk about the uh, without worry and fear, but really, I mean, I think that's one of the primary emotions that parents might might feel when they start noticing symptoms in a five-year-old of being depressed. And what does that look like in in a
2: child that young? That's right. That's a a good question because it can look different for different stages or, or developmental, um, uh, ranges for children and teenagers. So, uh, you know, let's be sure that we all know that we all have mood changes and we all have some anxieties and that's not atypical for many people. Um, and it doesn't always rise to the level of being a problem or a disorder or an illness. So um, we can start with just looking at anxiety and we know that all anxiety is not bad. It naturally occurs for us and it leads us to sort of fear things that we should be fearful of, such as a lion chasing us, or in our world today, unfortunately, it might be that we hear gunshots and we need to run in the other direction. So that's the natural anxiety that sets in and it helps us protect ourselves and preserve ourselves. And that's important for us. So. Um, there's also anxiety that happens in children that's again not atypical. And it could be that you've got an infant who's scared of loud noises and they might have a startled response to that. Um, or you have a toddler who's scared of the dark and you know, scared of monsters, and they have trouble sleeping in the room by themselves. And that's why they keep coming out every night to go find their parent or to be in their parents' room, as we all have experience with our kids at some point. So. Um, I think it presents differently, but again, those are within the normal range of anxieties that younger kids might have. Now, higher levels of anxieties can begin to occur in everyday situations, and it can get really debilitating for some people. And in children, even into adolescence, but really in children, you might see them freezing up or having more tantrums or irritability than they used to. They might be very clingy to their caregivers or their re- behaviors sort of regress, meaning they show younger behaviors than where they're at developmentally. So for example, some people start, uh, some children start um, having accidents in their underwear again, or they have fears that they've overcome, but that fear comes back up for them. So. Um, As you grow older, you're more aware of things that worry you and you're going to start talking about them. It might be small things. It might be worries about school the next day or friends or what that test is going to be like. And children and teenagers might need a lot of reassurance that things are going to be okay. They will make it through this pretty much across the board. You are going to see sleep changes, appetite changes, and maybe even nightmares or bad dreams about the worries that they have. So That's what we we would see across the the range of of things for anxiety.
1: So what so what I'm hearing from you is that it's a change. It's it's a sudden change of it's a change of behavior. Like if you witness like your child's kind of normal everyday state changing, um, that would be no matter what their age, that would be a time to press a little bit to check what's going on to to ask questions. But you're saying sleep, appetite those things those things are disrupted when symptoms are going past the normal state.
2: That's right. Definitely okay. for anxiety because we're so anxious sometimes that we can't really, we don't have an appetite. And we all, all right. might experience that in certain situations when we've got a, a huge exam coming up or something mm-hmm. like that. We just don't feel like eating or we are going to have trouble falling asleep because we're worried and we're overthinking. Right what's coming up the next day or did we do something wrong that, you know, the day before sort of thing, or we're worried about relationships. So that keeps people up at night. Um, right. And so, yeah, it is a change so is from it, what no, you normally would see.
1: So I have a question cause you said anxiety is, is normal. We all experience it. Is it that we all experience anxiety or is it that we all experience stress? Like what, what in your mind, what's the difference or is there a deep connection?
2: I think there is a connection. I think that different people, different professionals might use, uh, you know, different words for it. And even everyday people have different words for it. I have seen um, teenagers tell me that they feel stressed, but they don't feel nervous or anxious. Mm. And it's just the way that someone's own experience of that word and what stress or anxiety or nervousness means for them. I think it encompasses the same sort of Um, feeling, which there is something that's impending or something coming up that causes a little bit of distress, internal distress. And, uh, you know, stress, I think can be seen as a more natural reaction or something that doesn't seem to be so bad because we all do have stress. Right. So,
1: But they're used kind of interchangeably, stress, nervousness, anxiety. Yeah. But once we head over into, okay, there's a disorder, there's something significant happening, then we're talking about an anxiety disorder.
2: Correct. And there are different okay. kinds of anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. So in you know a certain kind of anxiety disorder, you might see more trouble concentrating, more restlessness, more muscle tension, more worrying, and trouble controlling mm-hmm. the worries. That would be generalized anxiety disorder. For a lot of preteens and teenagers, we might start to see social anxiety disorder, which is where they have trouble being in public situations. They might have trouble in a school setting as well because they have to have these social interactions. And they're not sure what others are thinking of them. They're feeling like they're going to be judged or they're going to make a mistake um, and they might not be liked by others. So yes, different types of anxieties can present. And then for
1: younger kids, for younger kids, there also might be social, there might be social anxiety.
2: separation anxiety as a younger child as well mm-hmm. um, even general worrying especially during COVID and the pandemic worrying about parents having to go to work or where they are and are they coming home on time are they getting sick those kinds of things can happen right for younger right. children too
1: so we just talked about anxiety stress nervousness all of that Let, let's move into depression what, what does that look like in young kids what's what's because you said everyone experiences moodiness like that's a normal state what's what's the line there?
2: Right. So, so the line comes when it gets to be debilitating. It can really have a serious impact on someone's function when their um, mood is so low that they just can't get through day to day. And so with depression, we might see again, those sleep and appetite changes. Um, But here we might have actually lowered energy, less motivation to do things. Um, Teenagers frequently tell us that they're bored or Parents tell us that they're irritable and they can't get a word in without being yelled at. Um, mm-hmm. So there is moodiness, extra moodiness, more than what you've seen before from your teenager, your child. Um, and then you also see sadness and crying spells. And kids aren't enjoying things like they used to. They might withdraw from their family and friends. They might not want to go out anymore, not want to see their friends, right. um, and they end up isolating in their room. So what we see is kids just not enjoying their day-to-day life. And then it what can- about, like,
1: What about the younger kids though? Like we have so much, we know so much about babies and toddlers. We know so much about teens, but like this five to 11 group, what about them?
2: So I, I think that depression, it, it, it's where it kind of starts off. I don't think that I've seen severe depression in that age range, if you will. But I think that's where we start to see some mood changes. We start to see that they're a little more irritable they're not being able to get along with their friends like they used to. They might um, not want to you know, enjoy the things that together as a family they used to. So I think it creeps in a little bit. And then we have to see what happens and hopefully intervene if we need to um, early on. So we prevent it from progressing a little bit more. But with younger kids, you also do with depression. um, You can see a lot of uh, physical complaints, right? Stomach aches and headaches. And I just don't feel good or I'm tired. And I just, you know, I'd rather just lay around and, and watch TV or or, um, you know, be on my, my game box all, all day, so. Right,
1: are you seeing, um, you know, cause during COVID we actually saw a real spike in mental health um, emergency room visits uh, from children five to 11, like, uh, I think it was like 24%. I don't wanna throw out a false thing, but I, I, it was around there. So do you feel that children in that age range these days are, like we are seeing more than we used to see again because of exposure and like social media, like being on, being on social media, more things like that.
2: Right. I think there's so many factors that play into what's happening to, you know, this, this set of kids that's growing up in this pandemic um or in just in the last you know year or so and, and moving forward into this coming year with the variants coming up we don't know where mm-hmm. that's going to lead so i think that definitely there has been an increase in um, anxiety and depression and and experiences of trauma whether it's their parents are getting ill or they've got to quarantine or they've lost family members and they're having to attend you know ceremonies or or you know, not attend when they've wanted to attend because you just couldn't have them um, because mm-hmm. of the social, um, the distancing requirements. But um, I think that I work with pediatricians and they're also seeing a rise. They've told me that they're, you know, feeling overwhelmed by what they're seeing and, and you know, needing to get access to the people that can provide the help is not always easy. Um, so right. they're having to do some of the care themselves to get them going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that one of the, um, you know, we have a we have a b- big psych practice. I have, a, I have a big psych practice with a lot of child therapists and, and one of the reports with the child th- therapy, the, the, there's just so much need right now with young, uh, there's always been a need with adolescents, but there's so much need with young kids um, and, uh, uh, you know, around the, the isolation, the social isolation, the worry, the sadness, the fear. Here, all of that kind of just like closing in, just like like all of it, just feeling really big and really, really, really hard,
2: really heavy, um, yeah. really heavy. Yeah. yeah. So
1: so and and I don't think I think this has been obviously COVID has um, escalated all of this, but I I I don't believe this is a COVID issue. I believe we've been seeing this escalate over many many years. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I, I definitely agree, I think that um, there was already a mental health crisis in the past pre-pandemic and that maybe the general public wasn't fully aware of it because they might not have had experience with the mental health system, but right. there has not been enough um, uh, availability to specialized providers and then you've got the pandemic that hit and it's just caused right. an even greater um, crisis because so many more people are in need. So. What it's done this pandemic is also elevated the level of awareness of how important yes. our wellness is and how early intervention and self care are key parts of this. When you can't get the providers that you need, you have to start doing Absolutely. things at home and taking care of yourself in whatever ways you can and learning ways to do this. So, um, and I think it's helpful to have pediatricians and nurse practitioners who to, to kind of help with the, the identification of these things and with getting started if, if that's needed. So right, I, I right. agree, I think that um, there's a lot that still needs to be done. In, yeah,
1: a lot of that awareness. And, and like, you know, to that point, let, let's shift to home. Let's shift to home, how how, how how should parents approach this if they're seeing things or if they're seeing, cause again, we're talking about, it's a change of behavior. That's your first flag. It's a change of behavior. It's a change in what you're normally used to seeing. How do you approach this? What do you do with,
2: what do you do with it? How do you talk about it? Sure, so I think that parents have to talk about it and it's it's their responsibility. It's their child and they're, they're the caregivers. So I think if parents are noticing these changes for two, three weeks, and it's definitely a change from where their child used to be, then that might be a sign to them that there's more going on. Um, Or if their child isn't functioning well, or as easily day to day, and they're dropping out of things, or if they're just not enjoying things, and uh, it's taking so much effort, then that's when we need to look at getting help. But as parents, we do have to talk about it. And if we don't, well, let's think about these children are already feeling alone, they're already feeling like maybe there's no help for them. But as a parent, if you've noticed it, and you then ignore the signs that might lead them to feeling worse. So if parents have a good foundational relationship with their children, these sorts of conversations are going to be a little easier, right? So if we've started off with the foundations of good communication, praising and recognizing the positives and things like that, that makes this easier. So these are not easy conversations as parents, um, most definitely, but you can start by just basically asking them how they're doing now. I know the typical response is going to be fine. <laughs> and then you don't want to leave it at that. You want to go ahead and ask a little bit more. So you could break open the topic by asking about, you know, what's happened in the recent past or what are some upcoming events and what are they thinking about them or what was that experience like? Um, just to get an idea of what has been happening for their child in the last week or two or coming up. And and then, um, you know, if the parents are noticing changes, then, Maybe give a couple of examples to the child or teenager to say, hey, I I noticed that you really haven't been hanging out with us as much, or I noticed that you had, you know, you got invited to that birthday party, but you didn't want to go. What's going on there? Um, So I think it's important to come from a stance of curiosity and not blaming them for these changes, not shaming them for them and asking, being open to, you know, being available, asking them if they want to talk with you more. Well, there's a chance they might be more comfortable with the other parent or with another adult. So let's give them that option. Like let them use their support network and not expect you to be the the one that they have to come to. How do you do that?
1: Like what's the language to do that?
2: Sure. So I, I think you just have to say, look, if it's not me, that you want to talk to about this, then who else could it be? You want to talk to aunt so-and-so or you want to talk to so-and-so's mom? Or should we go to the pediatrician if you feel comfortable with the pediatrician? Cause I really, I, I'm worried about you. And I want to talk, you know, talk, want you to talk to someone about it so that we don't miss something. And, you know, if they get upset or angry, they don't want to talk about it, then pause the conversation, take a break. Don't keep mm-hmm. digging at it. Cause that's just going to make it that's worse key. for them. Right? Mm-hmm. So then, you can tell them you care about them. You want to come back to it. I, you know, I want you to feel good. And it seems like you're not feeling good, but I'm not sure. So I, I really want to help you feel differently if that's what it is. So
0: mm, like that, if you notice after a couple of weeks and my brain immediately goes weeks, I don't want him to be feeling that way for weeks. And I mm-hmm. think that's such a, a drive to fix, you know, if I notice that he's not eating or not sleeping well, it's like, I focus in on that moment of okay, how can we help you sleep tonight? And then if it fixes tonight, well, then that's that's good. You know, I don't I don't feel like I'm waiting around to develop those patterns and to be able to say, you know, well, for the last how many ever days or weeks I've been noticing this. So it also sounds like there's a, a part of that curiosity is also some openness on the part of parents. And and teachers maybe if they're seeing everyday you know behaviors to step back and not try to fix right away, because you may not know what the pattern is if you're trying to fix it that day, and you're missing on the more broader you know, pattern making and meaning making from you know and, and our particular instance was you know my son was on his iPad all he wanted to do was watch YouTube videos all day long in late, you know, mid late pandemic. And that was the only one that I kept going, you know, and every time I would ask him about it, I would have that curiosity. Mm. I'd say, Why do you want to watch YouTube? Well, it's the only thing that makes me feel better. Oh, okay. And I just sort of let it go. I didn't say, well, you need to go find something else to makes you feel better. We just sort of let it ride until I could figure out that, oh, he really means it. that's the only thing he wants to do. That's the only thing that makes him feel better. Mm. Now we can think about what that might be in future, but it's so hard to not just fix everything right away.
2: That's right. And I yeah. think it, as a parent, we we want to, we want them to not suffer. We want them to just feel good. And, you know, that's part of um, how we teach them to be their own person and their own individuals. And, and sometimes they just need to be heard. They just need someone to listen and, and not take care of it all for them. Um, And as parents, we have to help them figure out the processes that it takes to work through a problem or a situation. So maybe helping them problem solve but not solving it directly for them because that's a skill that we all you know have learned and need to continue to work on because it's easy for us to just go say oh I can just do do this and take care of it for my child I can just go talk to that teacher who gave them a bad grade well really w- what's that teaching your child it's teaching them to rely on you it's teaching them that there is an easy fix and there's it's not always going to be that way we as parents are not always going to be around to take care of it for them so they have to learn to work through this and maybe it's just those times that you know they do tell you about a problem maybe it's like that sounds really tough i'm sorry you know that that's happening um you know what are you thinking about it is there anything you can do you know in that situation or you know is there anyone you can talk to to help with that situation you know i want to help you but you know i may not have all the answers so maybe just like rephrasing what they tell you and expressing how it's tough Or whatever words fit, you know, for the situation that they're describing.
1: I think that's so, I think that's so key though. And it's like, you know, the more I think there's two points. I think, first of all, you know, we're terrible at hiding our emotions as humans, unless we're psychopaths. We're we're terrible. So we're all two-year-olds running around with like that big frown and that big, but like as we age, like our expressions become a little bit more subtle, but we we're terrible at hiding it. So I think first of all, trusting your gut if you're seeing that difference, like don't second guess, because there's no time with it. I don't think there's like, like there's no time, you know? Trusting your gut gut and acting on it is so important. But I also think what you just said is so important. And starting at a young age, having those conversations and getting that, like asking those questions and taking the time and acknowledging when things are tough and not having all the answers and opening up those lines of communication starting from day one is I think everything, because you said something else before. It's like the more, the more comfortable your relationship, the, cl- the, the more comfortable talking about this stuff, the less likely your child's gonna be say, fine. And then not respond when you go, come on, let's really talk. <laughs> right. So I think that's so key, it's getting comfortable it's getting comfortable this stuff is uncomfortable so getting comfortable talking about this is the most uncomfortable stuff
2: that's right and especially because you're hearing it from your child and your child is the one that you want to protect and take care of and want them to be happy forever knowing that that's not really realistic to you know expect all of those things and I think that as parents when we have these conversations we also like you said we we have to take a look at how much of our own emotion is coming out and and being displayed because when it comes to anxiety and depression and our emotions our children pick up on that and they feel it and they see it and they hear it in our voice and they take on some of that. They they then start to feel upset. They then start to feel anxious if we're anxious in the moment, right? Or then they clam up because they don't want to make you as a parent more upset. So then it's harder right. to forward with those conversations. So whatever our kids are telling us, if they're telling us that they're self-harming or that they're having thoughts about not wanting to be alive anymore, as hard as those are to hear it, it's okay to tear up, but as a parent, are you going to break down in a sobbing, you know, moment in mm-hmm. front of them? No, we don't want to do that. We want to save, save that for later. You know, when we're alone and and we right. you know, get our own support going. But in that moment, we want to not judge them for what they're feeling or what they might be doing in response to what they're feeling, and just to try to stay as calm and present with them, hearing right. them, and not responding so quickly right. to
1: Right. And I think that goes for like, you know, behavior that might make you so furious. Like I'm you like when you get a little bit older, like I'm using drugs, or I'm, you know, having sex or whatever it might be, it that is so key. It's managing your own emotional response because parents can immediately shut down the conversation or open down open the conversation based on their own emotional expression. And it's hard. It's
2: hard. It, it is, and that's a you know, as an it, parents, as individuals, have to decide their their right. structure, their own limits of right the and goals what they're and right that they want. And, to yeah, exactly. It's a hard Kate, balance. You, so, Kate, you
1: nailed it when you said like. I wanted to fix it immediately. And I think like when we think about our own lives, when we've been in like, you know, romantic relationships where our partner is trying to fix our problems rather than hear our problems, it's the same things with our kids. It's like, it's not about fixing immediately, even though we want to, it's about hearing. It's about hearing. And like on that note, like when, when does this escalate? Like when does this go to that next level where like, what are the signs where it's like, okay, now I need to get professional health.
2: Sure. So, so I like to think of like different scenarios that we might be looking for, for when we should be getting help. And one of those, the first scenario is if the symptoms don't get better or they start to get worse after those, you know, first couple of weeks, especially if there's unsafe thoughts or behaviors, or if you suspect that there's substance use going on, or if your kid is just not enjoying themselves, they're not, you know, enjoying their lives anymore. That might give them you you might get clued into a sense of hopelessness or helplessness. And those are more serious signs that they do need to get help. Um, The next scenario is, you know, when their day-to-day functioning is just not the same, it's so much harder for them to get up and get going, such as, You know they're not able to go to school because you know they're just so exhausted and they haven't slept all night, or they're not able to get their work done because they're so overwhelmed that they can't even get started on their schoolwork, or they're just you know not getting out of bed. So, um, those are signs to look for. And then lastly, as a parent, if you don't know what's going on and you can't tell if this is more than what your average teenager might be showing or what your you know, child might be showing, then that's the sign to just go get it checked out. It's not gonna hurt to get it checked out. And I would urge parents not to wait until it gets really bad before they seek professional help. Um, and it just means an assessment and evaluation. It doesn't mean that something is definitely going to be recommended. It means let's, let's get a professional's opinion that's got the training in this to help us figure this out.
0: Well, and I think most parents have had the experience of going to the pediatrician for a sore throat get the strep test and it's negative <laughs> and you you know you, you go anyway because you're not quite sure need somebody to check it out and maybe you feel a little dumb for taking your kid in for what turned out to not be strep or something else but you know it's still worth going because there's always that thought of what if it was or what if it is something serious or what so uh, we've been talking a little past episodes about that, what to not to, ex, not what not to expect, what to expect, expecting book that tells you, you know, for kids zero to three, how to feed them and how to go to the doctor. I think there's so many applicable things from that lesson or that way of parenting that apply to mental health. And I was thinking um, about a fever specifically, you know, if your kid has a fever, fever for an afternoon or a day, that might be a sign that their body is fighting off some kind of infection. Doesn't necessarily warrant a trip to the ER, but keep an eye on it. But you're not going to let it go on for days and weeks at a time, unchecked, getting worse and go, well, it's, you know, it's just kid stuff. It's just life. You are going to go get that checked out and you are going to take that seriously. So it sounds like that's the same kind of gradient that we're looking at with symptoms of depression and anxiety, you know, one time versus long term mild versus debilitating, you know, there's there's a lot in there. that
2: that's right, or or one symptom versus several together, you know, in right. the same period of time. I think that's an important clue too is that it's not just irritability that I'm noticing. I'm noticing this, this, and this too. Maybe that's a sign of something more.
1: Right. Or it's not just one bad day I'm noticing my kids having, Right. my that's kid right. keeps on having bad days. And it's, you know, Kate, I love that you brought that up because it just and every you know every time we do talk about it, it's just like Yes. Yes. Like we take medical stuff so seriously. We act on it. We, it, it, it is so hard for us, for some reason to act on mental health stuff. And it's as a society, I mean, we're getting better, but I, I, but we're still, it's still very hard for us to act, um, to act on it. And I think, you know, one, one of the major issues right now is that it's, virtually impossible to get an appointment with a therapist everyone is so booked because everyone finally is like I need help (laughs) so what do you do if you can't get in you're noticing this in your kid and you can't you can't get an appointment for a month or two months what do you do
2: sure so uh, there are things that parents can do in the meantime and and one thing is maybe you can get in with your pediatrician right at Mm -hmm. least there's a little bit of uh of a, you know, a professional having a bit of an eye and saying, okay, yeah, this sounds like a little bit more. Now they don't have the level of training that um, psychiatrists or psychologists or, you know, social workers might, but that's a good start. um, And maybe they could give you some resources too. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that parents can do is trying to uh, implement good natural changes at home to, to help with that. So, trying to make sure you're having your child involved in a variety of things, not just sitting at the screen in front of the screen 18 hours a day, right? So making sure they're getting good nutrition, good sleeping habits, not staying up through the night and sleeping all day. That's especially hard during summertime because that's what a lot of patterns are like. But there are lots of apps and programs, online programs as well, that can help give some basic guidance to parents as to how to get through these days, how to get through those moments, whether it's an anxiety provoking situation or a really disappointing situation, um, as well as you know, learning how to use basic coping skills at home, meaning like meditation and deep breathing and let's incorporate some exercise and um, make sure that those are part of daily practice so that your kids are used to it before they actually need it. Um, you know, so let's get into those habits as parents and families together. Um, but there are definitely lots of programs, um, like Hey Kiddo, that can mm-hmm. give lots of solid, very straightforward advice and guidance to to parents and to teens. You know, even directly. So, um, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting because even with with you know. Hey, kiddo is more on the side of let's get to it before the problems happen. So the skills are there and the communication habit is there. But it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things we know to be true is parents are busy and it's, it's easy to prioritize the tangible. It's easy to prioritize the having to bring your kid to soccer practice or to, to, to band practice or do homework. It's harder to prioritize. Okay, now we're making time in our family for a mindful moment. Now we're naked, you know, let's 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 over dinner talk about instead of watching TV, like talk about kind of what we feel our strengths are and our weaknesses are and things like that. It's it's not as tangible, so it's harder. Even even though it, it it's probably, and I don't want to. Yeah, I'm biased. I think it's more important. <laughs> these are this, these are the things that protect kids and protect adults long term.
2: Well, that's what builds resilience, right? Right. Is being able to have relationships and at least one or two really solid relationships that yes. you know strengthen you as a person and build out, bring out your personality, bring out those nuances that you bring to mm-hmm. the table and those things that other people don't have. And that's what our kids and teenagers need. They need to have those relationships and those connections um, that, you know, even having one person in their life that is able to be there for them and can hear them and not give them advice, if you will, um, straightforward advice. That's what they need. And that can turn them around so easily. So Mm -hmm. I I agree. I think it's those, these conversations and these moments um, that we need to, really appreciate and, and build into our schedules because yeah, they are built into our lives and then soccer practice and tutoring and absolutely,
0: those things. absolutely. <laughs> Reminder for me too because so much of the tangible is behavior something happens mm-hmm. it does something then you and i i found myself you know yeah we talk about resilience and uh mindfulness and emotional awareness but it's usually right now before I put it in my schedule in response to a behavior right relationship building because there's conflict and um yeah those it certainly builds over time but how much more powerful would it be if we were talking about it in a more neutral moment and not because something and then I would imagine it it develops a pattern that oh we only talk about these things when i've done something wrong and that's when it happens so that's a great reminder and
1: that and it can feel like punishment if we're only talking about it when something is wrong like it can feel like punishment versus helpful yeah that's right talk about
0: emotion (laughs) on that note emotions are happening all the time right 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 Uh, Well, Sonali, we certainly appreciate you being here with us today, and we always like to ask takeaways for parents and educators about talking to kids about anxiety and depression.
2: I just love that you're devoting this time to this for us to be able to talk about it so um, number one is that you know there's a range of of. Things that our kids and teenagers go through, and not all of them are abnormal, so it's important to recognize that some of these might be developmentally okay for their, their age and the, the, where they're at um, in their development. We also want to keep an eye out for any signs of anxiety and depression, and I, again, talk with um, you know, other people that know the child if you're, if you're worried, and see mm-hmm. if other people are noticing it, too, if you're not sure yourself. Um, so keeping an eye out for it, and don't be afraid to ask your child what they're feeling or your teenager what they're feeling. Yes, you might get snapped at, but that's okay. <laughs> we can work through that, and you can get help with working through through that. So, um, And then, you know, making sure that you get help when you're not sure, and understanding that um, help is not um, even, it, it does take a while to access. It, you will get there, and the improvements will come. Your child will feel better. Um, And it's going to take some time and effort. It's not that the child goes to a professional and and gets fixed because that's not what is meant to happen. Um, What's meant to happen is that the family gets involved and the child and family together are involved so that there's improvements in whatever is happening at home and in different environments. So I think it takes time and effort, but it's so worth it for our children and teenagers.
0: Thanks for listening to Hey Kiddo. If you like what you hear, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more about Hey Kiddo Talk and Huddle at our website, hey-kiddo.com. Have a question for our experts? Email us at hello at hey-kiddo.com.